Well, uncertain times demand a sure leader. And I think if the times we are in are anything, they are uncertain. We need, we need a good shepherd. We need someone to lead us, to lead us well, to lead us boldly and benevolently. Someone who can not only help us, but also bring healing to our physical bodies as well as our souls. A leader and a guide, a shepherd who can both provide and protect. And I think, again, if we're, if we're honest here on this Sunday, as things continue to change in the midst of this dynamic situation, we are all feeling that, the desire for a good shepherd, leader, guide. One who knows us, knows us by name, cares for us, leads us as a servant, and one who can get the job done. There's so much opinion out there, so many news articles that we're all reading. I think it's easy during these times to go well astray. And I feel that in my own life. I know that I need it as well, not only for the daily grind where on a daily basis I'm feeling all sorts of different things, but, but in the brokenness, in the challenges, in the reality of death that surrounds us. We need a good shepherd. We need a guide. Thankfully, the Lord has not been silent on the matter. God's answer to us comes in John chapter 10. This is the fourth I am statement. I am the good shepherd. And I believe what the Lord wants to say to us this morning, what he wants us to to hear in our souls is that Jesus is really the guide that we're grasping for. There is nothing wrong with desiring good leadership and a faithful shepherd during these times. Where can we go? Where will we go? Jesus tells us, I'm the good shepherd. The question before us this morning is, will we listen? Will we be the sheep who hears his voice? Will we trust him to guide us in these uncertain times? I want to tease out our text this morning from John 10, really across four different questions, wherein Jesus reveals to us what it means to be the good shepherd. And as usual, he has some quite astounding, helpful, and very hopeful things to tell us. So the first question is this, who guides us? Who is this guide? Who is this shepherd? Who is this leader? What is Jesus saying in this saying, and why is he saying it, in particular to the religious leaders here in John chapter 10? What claim is he making about his power? And reflexively, what does that show us about our own need? So he begins with, I am. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. We hearken back once more the fourth time, and we'll do this now seven times till we get to the end of the I am statements, to this divine claim that I am God, I am Yahweh. It comes right out of Exodus when the Lord himself reveals his divine name to Moses. Jesus always follows up these I am statements with some fulfillment of some Old Testament type, right? So I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. It's in the context of John, oftentimes around historical Israelite religious institutions or festivals, Jesus is trying to show us that he is the promised Messiah. He's the one who fulfills uh, 
the pictures, the promises, the types that God had provided for his people in the Old Testament. So I am is a claim to authority and power and divinity. And I am the good shepherd is Jesus' way of saying, I am the fulfillment of all the sheep shepherd metaphors and promises in the Old Testament. I am the shepherd of Israel. Do you want to know what it means to follow your God, to be led through tumultuous paths and raging waters and uncertain times by a good God? Follow me. I am God, and I am the good shepherd. Again, the fulfillment of all Israel's shepherd promises about a king who would come to lead the people of God perfectly into God's promised land. So what is meant here by shepherd? Well, it's a common turn of phrase in the Old Testament. In fact, it's a unifying theme in the Old Testament. It unifies the entire Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of Moses, but also the historical writings and the prophets. At each of the main three phases of the Old Testament, the idea of shepherd and sheep and God leading his people is used. I'd like to provide you with a few examples here. Don't just take it from me. So let me uh, quote from a commentator. In the Old Testament, God as the true shepherd is often contrasted with unfaithful shepherds who will be judged by him. We see God as shepherd in Psalm 23, which was our call to worship this morning. Isaiah 40, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34 through 36, and Zechariah 11. David, or the Davidic Messiah, is also depicted as the good shepherd. 2 Samuel 5, Psalm 78, Ezekiel 37, and Micah 5. As is Moses in Isaiah 63 and Psalm 77. Jesus as God and man is the fulfillment of both of these themes. So, That was a lot of verses. (laughs) I would encourage you to maybe uh, stop and rewind and write some of those down or even just go into your Bibles to the back of the Bible, to the concordance, and look up how many times in the Old Testament God speaks to his people as their shepherd or refers to the leaders of Israel as shepherds of God's people. Now, the good leader is exemplified in David, a man after God's own heart. He trusted the Lord. He wasn't perfect. He was a sinner, but he was one who was saved by grace. His sins and transgressions had real consequences on earth, but he was quick to repent and ask for God's help. David is an example of a good shepherd. But God also uses the term of shepherding and sheep to condemn the unfaithful and idolatrous leaders of Israel. Probably the most pointed passage along these lines is found in Ezekiel 34 through 36, where the Lord speaks through the prophet Ezekiel to condemn those supposed teachers and leaders of Israel for leading the sheep of God astray, for leading them to false gods and and idols, basically trying to take control for themselves, trying to be their own God, not trusting God as guide, but making guides in their own image and by their own hands. And so the idea of shepherd is used across the Old Testament, positively for the Lord himself, and as a division, a contrast between good and bad leaders in the history of Israel. We also find the idea of sheep, and this is important because we're told that we are God's sheep. 
And sheep need help. This is the one thing we know about sheep is they need help because they are prone to wander and they are prone to go astray. Now, I originally in my sermon had a whole thing here about, oh, sheep are dumb and can't we be dumb, you know, we, and we can. Romans 7, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, the things I don't want to do and I know I shouldn't do and I know don't lead to my wholeness and joy and flourishing, I continue to struggle with. Uh, but I took that out because I, I did a little research. <laughs> Pastors should do research, as should all of us. Um, sheep are actually not dumb. And in recent years, they've, they've done a bunch of scientific uh, experiments on sheep and shepherds and sheep communities that, that go to show that they actually have a relatively high intelligence. Sheep are not stupid. Do they do stupid things? Yes, but they're not dumb. They're not dumb, but they do need a leader. Uh, other types of animals have leaders that develop within the group to lead the pack, not so with sheep. Sheep require a leader or a shepherd, or they will go astray. So they're not dumb, but without a good leader, they're often wrong. I think this is a great analogy for us as the people of God. God isn't beating us up or you know, saying, you guys are idiots. No, we're not dumb. We're made in his image. We're made in the very image of God in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. We're not dumb, but we're so often wrong. Apart from God's grace, in fact, we will always be wrong. We will always choose to be our own gods. We'll choose self-love and selfishness, which the Bible calls sin, as opposed to trusting Jesus as our good shepherd. So in our tendency to stray, we need one who can guide us, that is to provide what we need, streams of living water and good pasture, and also one who will protect us. This is the heart of Psalm 23, the rod and the staff, guiding toward what what is good, and protecting against what is bad. And that's why Jesus mentions in our passage the idea of wolves. There are wolves outside of us. There are temptations. There are voices of condemnation. And there are wolves, as the Proverbs say, in our own heart. And we need God to untangle our heart and deal with those things and lead us to Jesus. Lead us to the place of promise to the land of milk and honey, to that which will really satisfy our souls. So as sheep, we must admit our tendency to go astray. Jesus' declaration that I am the good shepherd means for us that we are not. I am means we are not. We have to begin here with humility. And in the context of our passage, that was the challenge that the Pharisees had. The religious leaders. I love what Pastor John said last week. Let's not beat these guys up. They can become an easy foil, you know, for pastors to create straw man arguments. No, actually, the Pharisees were trying to keep God's law. It's just that in some ways they believed that obedience to God's law would somehow earn the people of Israel righteousness and therefore get them to God. So the Pharisees here aren't horrible religious leaders. They are actually very right to be shocked. They're right to be shocked by these bold and audacious words of Jesus, that he is the good shepherd, Yahweh himself, the fulfillment of all the sheep and shepherd promises in Israel, and he's the one who can guide the sheep who often go astray. John uses this pattern throughout his gospel. 
He begins, of course, with a beautiful poem and a prologue in John chapter 1, and then he jumps right into this recurring pattern in his book, which leads us all the way up to basically the Passion Week in John in John 13. And the pattern is this, that Jesus makes some claim or does some sign which results in controversy. Some believe, some don't. The Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, religious leaders are trying to figure it out. That controversy then results in tension. And as the tension builds, people have questions. And those questions, John leads us to a fork in the road, a choice. What will you do with the claims and the signs and the promises of Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Lord? Or is he demon-possessed and insane? The question that the Pharisees are trying to answer is they become more and more irked by these very subtle but clear and bold claims of Jesus. These I am statements is, who is this guy? Is he the one who has come to save? Or is he just some other guy who's claiming to be the Messiah and his, his flame will burn brightly, he'll gather a mob, and then, you know, everything will go away. We need to wrestle with that same question. And that's what I want to encourage us to do now as we get into these next three questions. Could it be in this time of challenge and plague and COVID-19 and, you know, health challenges and economic challenges, could it be that the promises of this Jesus are what our hearts most deeply long for? In the face of the joys and the beauty of the world, but also the brokenness and the death that is around us and the hurt and the pain And we know in our heart of hearts, there must be cosmic justice. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Our hearts long for answers. They long for hope that extends beyond the grave. Could it maybe be that this Jesus is actually who he claimed to be? The one that our hearts most deeply long for. To answer that question, Jesus basically shows us how he guides us. So that's the next question. How does Jesus guide us? What's special or unique about this shepherd? I mean, we already have David. We already have Psalm 23. We already have Moses. In fact, the Pharisees were keen to remind Jesus about their father Abraham and their father Moses, who was the great prophet and priest and king. How could what Jesus does be any better than what David or Moses And this is why Jesus makes two incredible claims in this passage. In fact, if you reread it, he says, I am the good shepherd twice, and then follows it up uh, with what that means in two very distinct and beautiful and divine and glorious ways. Before we jump into those, we need to understand the context of what's going on specifically around John chapter 10. Remember that we talked about in John 7 through 9, Jesus claims to be the light of of the world. And he culminates the controversial claim of being the light of the world in the healing of the blind man at the end of John chapter 9. Jesus is so bright, his light is so beautiful that he can open the eyes of the blind so that they might see and have the light of God in and through them to heal them. Of course, the Pharisees are incensed by this and, you know, did he do it on the Sabbath? And they interview him, they interview his parents, they're asking all these questions, they're skeptical. And so now in John chapter 10, Jesus turns 
from being the light of the world who gives sight to the blind to condemning, as it were, Israel's spiritual blindness. Jesus has shown them, I am the light. He has proven it with signs. Why won't you believe? And so when he gets to these claims about being the good shepherd, he is upping the ante in what he says in regard to these things. To those who do not have eyes to see, they come as judgment and condemnation. But to those of us who who do have eyes to see, who go, yes, this is the one, this is what I need. I don't need more, more, more money. I don't need more. I mean, all these things would be nice. All the good things would be nice to have more friends and family and influence and time and money and education, but, but those things can't save our souls. And so he makes these two claims. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd who does what? I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. And he immediately contrasts the good shepherd, the owner of the sheep, the one who has stake and ownership and investment with the hired hand. Now, you need to realize he's not being pejorative here about hired hands. It wasn't wrong to be a hired hand back in those days. The difference is this, though. The hired hand is working for a paycheck. It's the difference between I showed up to babysit your kids and it is my kid. Okay, if it's my kid that goes to the hospital, I'm there. I'm by the bedside. I'm praying. Tears are streaming down my face. It's not the babysitter. There's nothing wrong with being a babysitter. Praise the Lord, we all need babysitters from time to time. You ask my wife sometimes, I need a babysitter. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but there's a, a chasm of difference between the love of the owner, farmer, protector of the sheep who know them by name and the hired hand who comes in just to get a job done. So Jesus is showing us that his good shepherding, it's better than David, it's better than Moses. His is a sacrificial love as God himself, not merely duty. His is ownership, not just the paycheck. And when Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep, he's preparing us for what he's going to tell his disciples five chapters later in John 15, that there is no greater love than this, no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So you see, Jesus isn't a religious professional. He's not a paycheck. He's not a hired hand. He is God the Son who has come down in flesh, fully God and fully man, to lay down his life for the sheep. And this is how Jesus leads us. This is how Jesus guides us in uncertain times, by laying down his life. As Matthew's gospel says, the King of kings did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The lion becomes a lamb for us. And I thought this was a good quote from one of the books that I was studying this week. It says, the hired hand means that he has no ownership. The hired hand's top priority is to save himself at the first sight of danger. When the wolves come, you should flee because the self-protection of the hired hand takes priority over laying down one's life for the sheep. The hired hand does not care for the sheep in a personal, relational, and invested way. He's there to get paid and paid for the job. So danger is not worth losing one's pay, or excuse me, danger is not worth losing one's life, although certainly worth losing one's pay. One commentator says it's cowardly abandonment motivated by self-interest. It's using 
the sheep as a means to an end. And the reason I wanted to focus on this is because I believe there's a challenge for us here. Do we use God as a means to an end? This is exactly what the religious leaders were guilty of doing. Is God the means to an end? Okay, God, I love you. I worship you. I I praise you. I I pray to you because of what I can get. And the truth is, you guys, we all struggle with that. I mean, obviously, we're, a lot of us are Christian enough to, you know, wrap it up in very subtle Christian-y language. You know, I don't go out and say, oh, yeah, God's a means to my end. But in all the functional saviors in my life, in all the things I go to for false hope, all the temporary things that are a band-aid to fix my soul, all the places I go to cope with my need and my brokenness, yes, I often make God a means to, my, to an end. So what Jesus is saying here is it's not just the religious leaders, but it's the sheep too that need help. We need God himself to come and help us, to lay down his life for us, because without his help, we're all going to end up like hired hands, making God a means to an end when he is intended to be the end itself. So when Jesus says in Hebrews, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, those are such good words for us. Those are words that we can take to heart, because where we are prone to go astray toward our idols and make God's a mean make God a means to our end, Jesus says, look, I laid down my life for you because the glory of my Father to bring many into my kingdom is an end in itself. And so when we read that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life, it should fill us with awe and thankfulness at what a good God we have. What an amazing God we serve. Not only does he lay down his life for his sheep, but he knows them by name. Last week, John talked about the voice of God in and through the word of God. Here, Jesus says, as he repeats this phrase very intentionally, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And then he says something incredible. He says, I know my sheep and they know me in the same way that my father and I know each other. In the same way that the Trinity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is eternally a perfect complementing interpersonal union of the deepest imaginable intimacy. That's how Jesus knows us. So not only does he lay down his life for his sheep, but he knows their needs. Not only do you get forgiveness at the cross of God, but you get Jesus to walk with you and guide you through every one of your daily needs till you breathe your last breath. I watched a video this last week. You can Google this. There's about a thousand of these out there, but Uh, They did an experiment. It was somewhere in the Middle East, and so they were speaking uh, Arabic, and basically they had uh, a guy, a woman, and a child go out and try to call these sheep in. And they all used the same call that the farmer uses. And the guy gets out there, he's about the farmer's age, and he does the call, and the sheep pay him no mind. And then the lady gets out there, maybe it's the farmer's wife, I don't know, and she does the call, and the sheep don't move. And then the little boy gets out there and he does the call just like his daddy does it. Sheep didn't move a muscle. The farmer goes out and using the same exact call that all three of those folks has used, the farmer calls with his voice. And you know what happens? It's it's unbelievable. It almost doesn't seem real. The sheep lift their heads. They turn around and without skipping a beat, they run toward the farmer. He literally did nothing different 
as far as the call itself than the other three people, but it was his voice. It was his voice that they recognized and they knew he's the one. He's the master. He's our farmer. He's the one who feeds and provides and protects and guides and helps us. So when Jesus says, I know my sheep and they know me and they hear my voice, it's not just intellectual, you guys. It's not knowing things about Jesus, but it's knowing him and knowing him intimately. That's why Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because if he's not only the good shepherd who lays down his life, but he's also the good shepherd who calls and knows your need, then you can pray what David prayed. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing ultimately that I truly need. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I go through the hardest thing I can imagine, if I nuance and walk through the difficulties of this trying time of global pandemic, but ultimately, he's the good shepherd and I will lack nothing. And I just want to end this question of how does he guide us with the reality of what his goodness means. It's beautiful. So how is Jesus unique, better than Moses or David? Well, first of all, he lays down his life for the sheep. And he's the pure and spotless lamb. He lays it down on his own accord. He can take it up again. He offers the full forgiveness of our sins. He stands in our place. He's a substitute for us. And he knows us deeply, intimately by name. He created and sustains us and meets our needs. But not only does he do those things, but he is good. God doesn't do them for you begrudgingly. Oh, you know, I wish Johnny or Susie or Molly or Mary would just get better. Man, you guys, I'm so frustrated. I've been leading you punk sheep all this time and you just won't listen. You won't get it right. You keep screwing up. Now, not, as he is, not only is he the owner shepherd, not only is he the one whose voice we recognize, but he is the good shepherd. And this is the real good news of the gospel, you guys. This is, this is what separates the gospel from perfect obedience to the law and religion and the rules committee and the Pharisees who were trying to figure out all the right ways to do everything when Jesus is just saying, can I heal people and love them and bring them to the Father? Because this word goodness right here could actually be translated beautiful. In, in fact, the Greek word kalos, good, might probably better be translated beautiful. And when we think of Jesus being the good or the beautiful shepherd, what that means is that he is the most desirable representation of what's actually true about God's desire to guide and love his people. It's as if Jesus is saying, I am the beautiful shepherd. What you have been longing for, recreation, renewal, help, beauty, overcoming all this brokenness. I'm the one who's going to lead you there. He's the one we've been waiting for. And I, I want you to know that when Jesus says, I am the beautiful or the good shepherd, it's not mere moral rectitude or rightness. It's not just Jesus's, you know, austerity or his virtue. But goodness in this sense is in reference to attractiveness. Jesus' goodness and his beauty is what we look at and we go, I want that. I want that. 
I know in my heart of hearts I'm made in God's image. I know I'm not just some complex carbon computer banging around the universe. I know there's more to life. I know that these things that I have, although they're good, money, time, education, friends, influence, sex, all this stuff is good. But it's, it's not enough. It doesn't save. Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the beautiful shepherd. I am Yahweh, the shepherd of God's people. And man, you don't need to do anything except for look upon me and come to me. And I'm going to show you what it means, John 10.10, to have life and life to the full. That's how Jesus guides us. Where are we going? The good news here is we're going to two places, safety and family. In this trying and confusing time, we can agree with Luke chapter 12. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In our fears and in our longings and even in our deepest needs, we have the safety of knowing that Jesus is in control. If I have felt anything during this time, it's just out of control. I mean, not every day. I'm not like losing my mind every 10 seconds, but it's been very humbling. When I think about economies and nations and wars and rumors of wars and supply chains and just like, whoa, man, I'm really not as in control as I thought I was. Jesus reminds us, no one takes my life. I am the sovereign king. I may be the lion and the lamb. I may be the good shepherd, but I am the king of the universe. And I know exactly what I'm doing. So fear not. Safety. But also family. In verse 16, Jesus tells the religious leaders, I have many more people that I'm calling into my kingdom. And one commentator put it this way. There's really no other way to understand this than what Jesus is saying is, I am the Messiah. And Messiah cares about those who are ethnically Jewish. Those who are of the nation state of Israel must turn to Jesus, the Messiah. But it's way bigger than that. Oh, it's way bigger than that. God has a plan for every tribe and tongue and nation. I have many more to call, not just Israel, but the world. One flock of all races, all ethnicities, all languages, all of these beautiful people made in the image of God. That's why when when Christ dies on the cross, the veil of the temple is torn in two. No longer do you need to work your way into God by being a specific type of people and even a priest, and even the high priest once a year. But now the very presence and power of God has left the temple and is going to fill the whole earth as the waters fill the sea. So who guides us? The good shepherd, who is the I am. How does he guide us? Oh, just, I just beg you, look to the other worldviews and systems the other options that we have to deal with our brokenness. Is there anyone that says the living and true king and God of all takes on flesh and lays down his life even for those who would reject him, that he might call them to himself and knows you by name. God isn't some force or some power or some karma or some way to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and follow these 10 steps to a better life. Stretch more, meditate more, be a better person. It doesn't work. Our hearts are the issue. And Jesus says, I know your heart. I know your voice. I know your need. And I'm good. And I'm beautiful. And what you've been longing for is me. 
And so the last question is just the last three verses of our text. What will we do with God's son? There is no middle ground. This really matters to me because as many of you know, in my life, I've had struggles with my faith. I've wrestled with it. Oftentimes, it's because I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. But sometimes it's, you know, emotional. Sometimes it's more intellectual. That's partly why I went and studied philosophy. I mean, I ended up realizing I knew nothing. Am I even real? But still, I tried. You know, because I have these questions. So this really matters to me. Uncertain times are going to be here even after COVID-19 passes. Because we're still going to have to answer this question. What will we do with God's son? And I really believe in my soul that, you know, I don't know how old the earth is. I don't know exactly what God's process was to getting us here. But I don't believe this is just some crazy accident. That something can come from nothing. That life can come from non-life. That cognition and consciousness can just pop out of nowhere. There, There has to be something that explains this. And for me, it's either, you know what? God is real and he loves me or no, it's all a joke. It's all made up. It's all some little fairy tale I tell myself. And so it's all about power and pleasure and I better go out and get mine. And that's exactly what happens at the end of this text. Some people say, this guy's got a demon. He's crazy. Why does he have a demon? It's blasphemous. I am the good shepherd. They understood what he meant. They knew what he meant when he opened the eyes of the blind. They understood Luke chapter 4 when Jesus said, the year of the Lord's favor is here. I've come to set the captives free and open up the eyes of the blind. I'm God. I'm the Savior. So either he has a demon and he's a liar and a lunatic, or you know what? No, demons don't open the eyes of the blind. We need to hear this guy more. There's something going on here. There's something that we need. There's something that our soul longs for in the person, in the work, in the power, in the guidance, in the leadership, in the love of this man. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, the apostle John, giving us his last great vision of God and his glory in the kingdom says this, that the shepherd will be their lamb, the lamb who was slain. That's verse 17. And in verse 18, John says, and he will wipe every tear from every eye as a great multitude are brought into the kingdom of God. What will we do with God's son? Because he's either a demon-possessed crazy person or he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who guides you, who loves you, who lays down his life for you, who knows you by name, who wants you, who offers both forgiveness of sins and resurrection life forevermore. John wants us to know Jesus is the guide that we're really grasping for. Will you believe? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish in our selfishness and sins and striving, in our trying to either make you in our own image God or be God or work our way to you or whatever form of righteousness we employ to save ourselves in a sinking ship. No, thank you. Thank you that you have sent your only son 
that whoever believes with simple faith shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God, I'm so thankful that you didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that if we would just believe this good shepherd, we might have life through him. I pray that would be true for us. Jesus, would you guide us? Would you guide us with the servant love of laying down your life, with the soft voice of knowing our names? And would you bring us to the safety of your sovereign authority and the family of a multitude who are being called to a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep? We pray in Christ's name, amen.